you know, where would we be without him in our life? And, and I just thank the Lord. You know, we've been looking at these series of thoughts over, these, over, um, over July um, about journeying, uh, journeying with the Lord. And part of our journey is trusting him when we don't know when the next step is. That's the journey of faith. Then in many senses, when the Lord instructs us or guides us, there is the journey of obedience. And that's not always easy, but it's something that we need to learn to be doing, that we obey him. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And then there is the journey of, of, of patience, walking with others with a patient heart, without being judgmental or critical, without knowing the circumstances or the situations within a person's life. You know, when we use the, the, the splinter and the log. And today, really, I want to home in on the journey of discipleship. Because every one of us are on this journey. You don't get to a certain age in life and say, well, I've hit 65, I, I, I know it all. Anybody that's hit 65 realizes that in your Christian walk, you don't know it all. There is still more to learn and grow and, and understand. You know, we, we never get to the point where we say, well, I think I've, I've gained enough revelation or I've gained enough. I, I just want to keep on unpeeling the, the, the onion and finding more of who God is. I want, to, I want to understand him. I want to gain an understanding of his depths. I want to plummet the, the widths because his love is so wide and so deep. And so amazing that we will never fully understand the one facet of that thing called love. We will never truly understand. For God so loved the world, not us as Christians, the sinners all over the world. God so loved them that he gave himself for them. And we can include our lives in that. Because once we were sinners who are now saved by grace, he died for every sinner and gave his life for them. That's just one aspect of, his, of who he is. So there is a journey of discipleship, of growing, of maturing. You know, we can grow in our love for God. We can grow in our understanding of God. But I, it's funny because the more that you think you know, the more that you realize you don't know. And the more that you realize you don't, you don't know, the more you want to know. And it's like this, this perpetual hunger to understand more of who God is. And very often, some of the characteristics of God we can see in each other. We can see you know, people who are very loving or very caring or very supportive. You see the aspects of God's love flowing through their life. You see others who are just so excitable and so flamboyant and joyful and expressive and you think, you know, that's an aspect of God. But you combine everything of us and you've still got more to learn about who God is. And it is really about discipleship. And we see that Jesus, Jesus had a heart to disciple those who he walked with. He was very specific about who he chose to be his disciples. When he walked along the shores of Galilee, you know, there must have been lots of fishermen there that he went past this one and he went past the next one and he says, Peter, come follow me. 
Oh, and you, Andrew, and James, and John, look, you come from. He must have walked past many people in the marketplace before he got to Matthew and said, look, Matthew, nobody likes you. Come follow me. <laughs> Matthew was probably, yeah, I'll do that. At least I've got a friend. As a tax collector, they weren't liked, obviously. And, and you look at the disciples and you think they were a weird bunch, they were a weird combination. You had Simon the Zealot who was out there trying to conquer the Roman Empire with his band of bandits. Um, you, you had the tax collectors, you had the fishermen, you, you, had, you had all sorts. And yet Jesus looked, and, and you look around the room when we got all sorts in the room, haven't we? You know, when you look around the room and you think, how on earth did God bring us all together? And yet he did. I look at my family and I think that. How did God bring that lot together? And then I realized it was down to us. <laughs> but, you know, it's this weird thing that he brings us all together. And then we're a family. And as a family, we love, we support, we walk with through our ups and downs. We journey in this life and, and one day we will be with each other in heaven for eternity. It's, it's just amazing. But Jesus had a heart not only for bringing people to follow him, but to disciple them in their journey. Listen to this. And this is, this is a very key scripture. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. We know it as the Great Commission. And, he, and Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's saying to them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, the, the scripture, in, in some senses, it brings an immense amount of comfort that no matter what the journey is, he is with me in this journey. In my ups, my downs, my struggles, my pains, he is with me. But there's also the thought that he, he, he's saying, look, make disciples. That's a responsibility. Oh, yeah, there's the comfort, he's with me. But the responsibility is he's called us all to go out and make disciples, to witness, to be a witness, to live a witnessed life, touching the lives of others so that they too would know the Jesus that we know and walk with. That's part of this great commission. And part of that is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we have the joy, like I said today, of baptizing some people and going through that area of their life and, and of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's the part of the joy. You know, when you, when you look at the Acts of the Apostles, um, in, in, in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets so excited, he begins to preach. He's so filled with the Holy Spirit. He's preaching his heart out. And, and, and 3,000 souls get added to the church. They get baptized the same day and probably filled with the Holy Spirit there and then. I tell you, you know, we, we, wait, we wait for weeks or months, um, get past the winter and we do baptisms when it's lovely. Well, there we go. Look at the weather. We should have done it in, in March and May. It was beautiful then. But I'm not in the water. <laughs> but the great, the great Commission is about us reaching and teaching. And I believe that nothing's changed from that commission that Jesus gave to the church. 
We are to reach and we're to teach. We're to reach and to teach. We're to find, bring in, and disciple. We're to walk with one another. See, discipleship is not all about out the front or what you hear on a Sunday. It's about walking with people. And, you know, Kerwin said to me, Pastor Kerwin said to me the other day, he said, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to hook up with this person and I'm going to mentor them. I'm going to walk with them. What what was Cohen saying to me? I'm going to disciple them in their journey. And I think that's a really interesting concept that there is a discipleship heart. And I really want to encourage you today that you have a discipleship heart. And that you may not know what that sounds like or feels like, but just walking alongside someone, helping them in their journey, helping them to understand the spiritual Christian life that they've now got is an important part for all of us. So Jesus said, disciple, baptize, and grow. The word disciple means a learner. Someone who learns from the master teacher. So when Jesus, you know, he was called rabbi, he was called teacher, um, he, he, was, he was a discipler. All these things are who Jesus was. But as, as, as a disciple of a rabbi, they wanted not only to hear his words, but live his life. It was to mirror what the teacher or what the discipler did. They would, they would hear his words and then try and live like he did. Guess what? Christianity hasn't changed, has it? We're to hear his words and then live as best we can like he did. That's the fun part of Christianity. It's not, it's not like, ooh, now I've got to live like he did. Signs, wonders and miracles is quite fun. Laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover is quite fun. You know, when, when God moves in power... All he's looking for is a vessel. Agreed? If the spirit, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, he will quicken your mortal body. That's a promise that we pray over our lives on a regular basis. You know, when you've got the aches and the creaks and the pains and whatever else, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that's a pretty powerful spirit, that same spirit now dwells in me, the Holy Spirit, And he will quicken or make alive or refresh or rejuvenate or re-empower this natural body. How many need their body renewed and re-empowered? Oh, yeah, two hands. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, absolutely. If you're young, you're, you're, you're doing all right. You feel good. You feel healthy and fit. It gets to a stage where you say, Lord, bring it on. Quicken this mortal body. Please. <laughs> but, but it's the power of God in us. How often we forget the power of God. Not only wants to minister to us, but through us. We, we, sometimes, we sometimes give me, give me, my name's Jimmy. Lord, help me. Do this for me. Um, Our Father in heaven, give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me of my trespasses. And it's all about me, me, me. Actually, 
there's a flow that comes from one who walks with Jesus. Jesus had a quiet moment before the Lord. He spent the night with the Lord, but then he didn't spend the rest of his next day on his own with the Lord. He went out and touched the lives of people wherever he was, and then he withdrew to a quiet place to be with the Lord. It, was, it wasn't either or. Please don't become an intercessor in a cupboard, praying for the world and staying in your cupboard. That's why a monastery is not where God wants you to be. He wants you to be out in the world, preaching, teaching, and discipling others. That's where he wants you. There may be a specific call for some to go to a monastery. Please only do that if you know you're called. Because the call of God here is go into all the world and preach the gospel. I don't see him say, go into a hiding place and stay in a monastery. He says, go into all the world. There is a place to withdraw and pray so that you have relationship with God in a personable way. But he then says, go. Go into this world. Disciples, discipleship means more than just increasing in information. If you read the word of God just so that you can increase information, if you go on the forge just to increase information, you could go down to the library and increase with an Encyclopedia Britannica or, or go on the World Wide Web and increase your information. But if you want revelation, then you open up the word. My encouragement, open it up at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through to 22, where it says, Let the eyes of my understanding be enlightened, that I may know the hope of your calling, that I may understand the hidden riches and the mystery of Christ in me. Go to Ephesians 1, pray that prayer, then get into the word and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, bring revelation and rhema, the now word in your life. Jesus wants you to look, sound, respond and be like him. Let me ask a question, those of you who are at work, can the people at work see Jesus in you? <laughs> True. But it's interesting, isn't it? If we're, as a disciple, meant to look and sound like Jesus, and that's the journey he's drawing us on as we are discipled in our relationship with him, we become more like him. We begin to sound more like him. People will have a conversation with you and they will turn around and say, you sound like you're a Christian. That would be the first of the opening of that door. Others will say, your life is so different. What do you believe? You know that you're not like the rest of the guys at work. There's something different. You're not swearing or behaving or telling jokes like the rest of them. You sound different as a disciple. You don't behave like the rest of them when there's a Christmas do and there's free drinks for everyone and all of a sudden the temptation to be like or be different is before you. Come on, church. We're called to live different. Let me read this scripture. This will help you. Luke chapter 4. Jesus is speaking. Luke, 4 verse, Luke 6 verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained 
will be like his teacher. That is class. Everyone who is perfectly trained. What is training? It's discipleship. It's growing and maturing in the things of the Lord. It's personal. You have in your Bible study time where you spend time with the Lord yourself. That's one way you begin to grow. Secondly, it's getting into a connect group. We have connect groups around the town. I would love to see at least two more connect groups start before the end of the year. It's where you grow relationally. It's where you grow through teaching. It's where you spend time praying. It, connect, we can have a great big church. You know, we're believing for, well, we're believing to build a 350-seater auditorium on this site. So we're believing for a church of 350 people before we plant, or 280 before we plant out. That's what we're believing for. We don't believe for small church. When we believe for big, we need small church involved, which is connect group. So we're connecting small, but we're coming together big. It's exactly what happened in the New Testament. They met together in the temple courts, all of them, and then they went from house to house, breaking bread and having fellowship with one another. It's not either or. It is both working together. And it's the beauty of what Jesus really wanted. Jesus had the 12 disciples around him. Then he had the 70. Then he had the 120. Then he had the 500. Then there were the multitudes that followed him wherever he went. But he had relationship at his small size as well as the larger size. Discipleship happens when you walk with the Lord personally in connect group. When you come to church, you hear the word. What do you do with the word? There are some people who are like scribes and they're writing down in their journals and writing it down so they can go back and remember and read it again. There are others who will listen to the word and they could have a conversation outside and someone says, what, what did... They were in kids' church this morning. What did Pastor Jeff speak about this morning? Ah, oh, it was a good message, but oh, I, it come to me. Hang on, we, we just heard it 20 minutes ago. And it just goes in and goes out. That's not, that's not discipling you. I'm sharing something. If you write it down, you listen to it online, you check it out, you can have conversation with it, you go to a connect group, you discuss it, whatever it is, it becomes a part of who you are and you grow. That is a part of discipleship. Walking with somebody. You know, I, I have an eldership that I have relationship with. We walk together as an eldership. We walk together as pastors. We meet every Tuesday and we spend time together. Pastoring, walking, discipling, sharing, sharpening. Discipleship will sharpen you. It will look at the it will see those edges of your life and think that's a blunt edge. Come on, let's sharpen that area of your life. I think is really important. How many of you know this world can so easily blunt the edge of your life? You know, you're doing really well and all of a sudden you just, you just ease up. And when you ease up, you become blunt. And it's like you're all dull, like an axe. You, you, you're hitting and you're thinking, oh, this is hard work. Just take a moment, get your... Get your Thank you. 
and your file and your honing stone and your, and your blade sharpener, whatever it is you want to use, and then get back and then you start chopping. Come on. We need people in our life. We need to be accountable to one another to sharpen ourselves. When we hear something that's not right or we're concerned about what's being said, let's not put it off. Let's be bold enough to step up and say, I don't feel that was quite right. Come on, let's sharpen one another. As friends sharpen the stone. Not as eye, plank and splinter. Wrong heart, wrong attitude. You've got a problem and let me take it out of your eye. No, let's with a heart, a humble heart, let's deal with issues that we hear and see in each other's lives so that we sharpen each other with love. That's the key. Do you know the word disciple is used in the Bible 200 or in the New Testament, 260 times. The word Christian is used three. Now, there's a reason for that. We are Christians, but we should all be being discipled. Christian is who I am. A disciple is what I be. I am being discipled. I disciple others, and we are all disciples of Jesus Christ but we're Christian people. That is who we are. But this is what I be. And we've got to be that to one another, discipling one another on a regular basis. And I've got six or seven things. So it gives you an idea how, through the, how far through the preach I get and how fast I need to go to finish reasonably on time. I want to look at several areas of how or where we should be in should be being discipled, where we should be strong on. And the first one is this. If we're going to grow and mature in our Christian walk, we need to, number one, understand the need for repentance. We need to understand the need for repentance. And the reason I say that is because we all make mistakes. We are, we are a people who have flaws in our life, where we slip up, rather than on purpose, we, we're challenged in an area and we make a mistake. The Bible's very clear that we need to understand what repentance is. Repentance isn't, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'll try my best not to do it again, and we do it again. Repentance is, I'm sorry. You died, you were whipped, you were broken, you gave your life on the cross for me to be free from this sin. Therefore, I repent, I turn the other way, and I walk away from that sin. There's a huge difference between sorry and repentant. We can all be sorry but not want to change. A repentant heart is, you died for this. How can, I, how can I continue in this area of my life? Let me share you with a share of scripture. 1 John 1 verse 9. This is one of the first scriptures, believe it or not. This is one of the first scriptures I ever learned off by heart. And the reason being is I had to keep on going back to the Lord and saying, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. It says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. If we're going to grow in the things of God, we need to understand the repentant heart of what a believer should be, but how God looks at the repentant heart of a person. As someone who genuinely understands, Lord, forgive me. I've done wrong. Forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. Forgive me. I shouldn't have gone that place. Forgive me. Do you know what? One of the, one of the most regular words on our lips should be, Lord, forgive me. I will not go down that path again, but with a genuine heart. If we confess our sins. Do you know what a lot of Christians do? They either say they're sorry or they don't confess it at all. They just brush it under the carpet and pretend it doesn't exist. Let's go one step further. The Bible says confess your sins one to another. Do you know what? We will never do that until we genuinely love in this place. When there's genuine love in God's house and there's no fear of judgment or criticism, we will then begin to share and open up our heart and deal with the confession of our sin. Oh yeah, first off, it's before God. But actually it goes one step further. Confess your faults to one another that you may be healed and whole. That's, a, that's huge. Come on, let's... You know my heart. I want us to be one great big family where we love each other, we care deeply for one another. Not only because the end time is coming close and there's a lot of pressure on Christian lives, but that we can be a New Testament church in a 21st century era where we're not judging, where we're not critical, but we genuinely love and where sin can be shared so that we can walk from it with accountability and friendship without judgment and finger pointing. Oh, are we there yet? No. Are we far from it? Yes, I believe we are. But that doesn't mean we don't, we don't pursue that with everything that we have. Because I believe that's where God wants to bring us. So that I believe the first thing we, we need to realize as a Christian or as a disciple is that we need to repent. You know, even in the Old Testament, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. What is to humble yourself? In many senses, it is to repent. It's to look at the mess. It's to look at the situation and say, I've not actually played my part. I've not been on my knees praying for, for the government. I've not been on my knees praying for those who are in authority. Lord, I'm going to humble myself and pray, and then you will heal the land. It's, it's interesting. It, it works in several different ways, but repentance is key in the journey of a disciple. Second thought is this, a disciple develops good, healthy habits. Good, healthy habits. The journey of transformation from being carnal... A carnal Christian to being spiritual or spirit-filled, there is a journey that takes place. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
So there's got to be in this journey of discipleship a, a development of good habits. We are running this race. If anyone's ever, you know, anyone like running? Anybody ever enjoy running? Yes? Two people. Three people, four people. I'll, I'll take every hand that goes up. There we go. There's a few of us that like running. I, I absolutely love running. But I wouldn't go running in, in normal everyday shoes and normal everyday clothes. You know, there's nothing worse than running with a pair of jeans on when you know it's holding you back. So there's got to be some good habits. For a runner, you, you, you get your shorts on, you get your running shoes on, you, you do your, your breathing exercises, your stretching exercises. There's got to be some good habits unless you pull your muscle or your cl- you've got all the clutter and the gear on that's dragging you down. The same with that Christian walk. We've got to lay aside every weight and sin that holds us back. developing good habits. Do you know one of the things that we really believe in when when we're looking for potential leaders or potential people who have got a call of God in their life? We were talking about this earlier. And it's that... that, What was the word? (laughs) There we go. Where's Rosemary? I had a senior moment with Rosemary earlier, didn't I? Faithfulness. It's that consistently turning up, consistently being there, consistently available. Con- faithfulness, I believe, is something that's so important in leadership in church. Faithful hearts who are always available. And then watching out for the sin or the situations that so easily ensnare us. There are th- you, know, you don't look to be ensnared. You don't look to, to put in a foot in a, in a... You don't look for those things, but you walk with awareness that there is an enemy out there that's walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So we walk around watchful and aware, but not fearful of. He is like a roaring lion, but he is not fierce like a roaring lion, because the Bible says that Jesus poured his teeth. Amen. He's harmless. I mean, harmless. <laughs> you know, he, 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 he is a shadow of what he could be. Very often the enemy is only as big as what you make him to be. I believe when we get to heaven, we will see, the, we will see not only our authority that we have, but we'll see what authority we could have had over circumstances in life where he deceived us into believing he was bigger than what he actually is. He is a created being. We are seated in heavenly places. He is his footstool. There's a whole big difference between God and the work of the enemy. Let's put him in the right perspective and be aware in the race that we run. Third thing is this, disciples are eternally minded. We've got to be eternally minded. It's so easy to become so consumed with life around us, with what's going on in our world or in the world around us. It's so easy to look at this world and say, it's falling apart at the seams. 
You know, they're talking about climate change, and then you know, they're talking about the, the degree and a half temperature of climate change and how that can affect everything. And then there was one guy this week, it's no longer called climate change, it's boiling point. <laughs> Have they not read the Bible? It will go up in flames. The Bible is clear. It will burn itself out. Read the Bible and you'll know how it all ends. Some people say it's a nuclear war. Well, when the guy wrote the Bible, whoever wrote it, I think it was John or... No, I don't know, I can't remember. But if, if, if it's in Revelation, it was John. They didn't have a nuclear war, but they did know it was going to burn. Whilst we're here... Let's not just be consumers of what's going on. Let's be prayers. Let's not just not stay, let's, let's not go and get our picket line and, and join a picket line somewhere and say, oh, you know, we're going to stop oil. Or not. No, no, no. Let's pray. Let's pray into this situation. Let's pray that our leaders of this world have, have wisdom to do the right things. Or we can go back to one of the other steps and say, Lord, forgive me, I should have a repentant heart because I criticize every one of them. I'm judgmental of what their motives are. I don't care what their motives are. I need to pray that they have wisdom to do the right thing and that there is a conviction. You, know, you can look at Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. He, he, was a, he, he set himself up as an idol that all the people in the nation should bow down and worship, but God still moved in that man's life to turn a nation around. We may look at our government and people in government and people in the nations of the world and think they're useless, hopeless individuals. Nebuchadnezzar would have been labelled as one of those by those who were of Israel. But they prayed and something happened. Our problem is if we're critical and don't pray, therefore we need to repent. So we've got to be eternally minded. What's it saying? Colossians, Colossians 3 verse 1 says this. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is. Seating, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of this earth. You, know, you, you, you could be an entrepreneur and just give your life to, let, let's go, let's go. It's changing the bluebird of Twitter into a star. And you're, you're spending all your life resources on stuff that doesn't really matter. You could, you could be an entrepreneurial mindset and, and, and just going down a line. Come on, what does God want from you? What do, you, you could be working all hours a day and night because you want the next house that's got the next extra bedroom that you don't really need. And you're working and working, and yet you're setting your mind on things of the earth rather than setting it on things of heaven. Oh, I just want to go on that world cruise. Well, bless you, I'm sure you enjoy it. Why does God want you on the world cruise? Is it to see lives saved or is it just to enjoy the trip? What? See, ah, <laughs> set your mind on things above. Then you'll know why you're on the world cruise. 
set your mind on things above and your entrepreneurial heart, creation, inventions, witty ways as the Bible calls them. If, that's, if the word entrepreneurial came from the Bible, it is witty inventions. It's in the Bible. That is where God wants to use us as his people. Set your attention, your mind on things above. I guess, you know, I used to have it said to me many, many times when I was younger. You're too heavenly minded to be any youth, uh, earthly good. That's not what the Bible says. He says, set your attention on above, and then you'll be more earthly good on this place. Come on, the world wants to, to take scripture and twist it. Let's put it in the right order. The more heavenly minded we are, the more earthly good we will be. Just think, if you just thought of heaven all the time. Oh, I can't wait to be there. I can't imagine what it's like. I just think of heaven all the time. Do you know what? In your heart, you'll be saying, I want to bring others with me so they can enjoy it too. Because if they're not with me in heaven, where are they going to be? They're going to be separated from the things of God for all eternity. Set your things, set your mind on things above. Next one would be this. Disciples are generously recognizing that all we have comes from him. I love that. As as we are discipled, you know, at first in in life, I I guess when I first went out to work, it was a case of trying to buy everything I ever wanted. You know, just, I just kept on spending and spending and spending because all of a sudden I had money to buy anything that I, well, it wasn't anything I wanted, but anything I could afford uh, with my 37 pounds a week. 37 quid a week is what my first wage packet, th- sorry, 34 pounds a week was my first wage packet. It's like, I couldn't buy much for that, but what I could buy, I remember saving up, oh, the stories, I remember saving up for weeks and weeks and weeks. Because half my earnings had to be paid keep to my mum and dad. So my 34 quid, my mum and dad at the time got 15 of it. I was left with 17 pounds. But I saved, and, and I, I, I used to go into Burton's. It no longer exists, does it? But I used to go into Burton's, and, and there was this suede coat. I wanted this way, you know, fur lining around the neck. It wasn't real fur, and he, fur lining around there. It was a three-quarter length coat. I saved my money. Oh, I, I, I eventually got, I think it was 150 pounds. When you think my week's wage was 34, this thing was expensive. I walked in there with my money. It was over in Portsmouth. I walked in there with my commercial road. I walked in there with my money. I tried on the coat. But there's all these wires through it. I thought it felt funny putting this wired coat on. I put it on. It felt good. It felt. It fitted. It looked good on me. I thought I looked like the bee's knees, whatever that looks like. Anyway, I thought I looked really cool. And I went up to the desk with my 150 pounds, and I put my 150 pounds on the desk, and they started to count it. It was a lot of money, and they counted out this 150 quid. I suddenly thought, coat. All that money, coat, all that money, all that money, all that money. Oh, grab my money. I said, have your coat back. (laughs) I wanted my money. I couldn't bear parting with that money. But I grew in the knowledge. This is before me and Jane were married. She she didn't know me as a weirdo for too long. But I (laughs) 
Did you say I still am? <laughs> Anyone who knows me well will know I'm weird. <sighs> In the nicest possible way, all right? In the nicest possible but anyway, 2 Corinthians, let's get back to the word. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, So each one give as he purposes in his heart. I so struggled to give money away. At first I was a spender, bought everything. Then I became a saver. And that's why I couldn't buy that coat, because now I was saving. There was something I wanted. I was looking to buy my first house. No, sorry, I was looking to buy a car, a Triumph Stag. And I... Did you? My friend over here. Was it a V8 or a V12? It was V8. V8. I was looking for a V8 as well. I wanted a V12. Four-seater open top. I got the cheap version, which was a Triumph Spitfire. I sold that to try and get this Triumph Stag. Oh, and, and I put £50 down. Oh, what's the time? £50 down on this Triumph Stag. Racing. It looks like a racing car. Beautiful. Each tyre, this was back in, we got married in 88, so this would have been about 87. Each tyre was £250 to replace a tyre. Then, um, and oh, I just so wanted this, I had £50 down on this car. And then I met Jane. There was the, tri- there was the Triumph Stag or Jane. Oh, it was so hard. But the scenes, it was only 50 pounds I had on the car. I chose Jane. And I lost my deposit. <laughs> yes, they are. I had a, I had a classic, oh, telling you almost, I had a classic mini before that. You put the key in the ignition and push the button on the floor. 1275 GT engine. It went like the wind. I never knew how fast it went because the speedometer didn't work. <laughs> I never put any mileage on the car. Anyway, stop encouraging me. I'm only on point four. So let, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Come on, a part of our growing as a disciple realizes that nothing I have is mine. That's why, Phil, if you still want to borrow my car, van, I haven't got a car, my van, you can. Not grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> I mean that genuinely, don't we? we do. Jane doesn't care, she doesn't drive, it's not hers, it's, mine. it's ours. Anyway, move on on. Number five, uh, disciples have the word of God in their hearts and are theologically sound. So you can find a scripture by, what am I going to read? I did this many years ago. I used to learn by just flipping open the word and, Lord, I need a word. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I will bring again Tyre Tyre from the north and Nebuchadnezzar King from the... It's like, what? that means nothing to me, Lord. Who's, who's these people? So I used to think, oh, I'll get more out of the New Testament. 
And this is the testimony that God has given, eternal life. And this is life in his son. That's a great word for me. And that was my Bible study. There was no way in the scripture with each scripture and confirm the word by two or three witnesses and cross-referencing and understanding and order. Come on, we've got to mature and grow in our walk with God so that we are mature in the word and theologically sound. There are a lot of churches or church groups that are out there. But are they all theologically sound or have they created a setting that fits their doctrine? We've got to look at the word and base what we build on the word of God. We've got to base our lives on what the word of God teaches. In John 8 verse 31 it says this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed. Now I'm going to ask a very personable question. How much of the word abides in you? To abide means remains. It's there. You've meditated on it enough to know that it's in there. If someone asked you a scripture on healing, you would be able to give them two or three. Why? Because the word abides on the inside. If someone asked you, well, what does the word of God say about finances and giving and sowing and reaping? It's there. It's in your heart. It abides. If someone asked you a word on wisdom, you can flip over to the book of James and said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and it will be given to him. Without reproach, because God wants you to have wisdom. Is the the word of God abiding, living in us? Or or, or we say, well, I I know somewhere in the New Testament, you're hedging your bets, you're doing pretty good. Somewhere in the the New Testament, that, that, that part of the Bible, it says something about it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Or we're saying, oh, yes, somewhere in, somewhere in the Old Testament it talks about David and Goliath, but I'm not too sure what, whereabouts it is. If we're going to mature in the faith, according to Jesus' words, Jesus said to those Jews who believed, we all believe in the room, we're not Jews, but we are, we're believers in the room. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Indeed. Did you, did you pick up the word of God from last Sunday to this Sunday and read it for you? Oh, it's all gone quiet. <laughs> because this is, a, this is about abiding in his word. Because then you're his disciples indeed. Oh, let the word of God dwell richly in your hearts. Let us draw from the word of God. You know, what does jo- Joshua chapter 1 says? If you meditate in my word by day and by night, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. How, do, how does that happen? Lord, I just pray, Lord, give me success. And that's not how it happens. Come on, let's be biblically sound. He says, if you meditate in my word by day and by night, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. It's not praying 
It's being in the word. I'm all for praying in the right place at the right time with the right thing. But if you want your life successful, if you want to have good success, then you do so by being in God's word. That's not the reason to read God's word. It's a byproduct of reading God's word. The reason for reading God's word is, I and my word are one. As you fellowship with the word, you fellowship with Jesus. And the more we get to know him, the more we'll be able to apply his word. And last, last two very quickly. Disciples serve. Matthew 20, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A disciple serves. He serves, he serves the Lord. He serves in God's house. He serves the vision. And he serves one another. It's very clear. If you get, again, if you, want, if you want biblical sound scripture, go searching. Look for it yourself and check it out. Are you serving? If you're not serving in any area of family church life, then look to where you can serve. Because as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's what we do. We serve the Lord. We serve the house. We serve the vision. We serve one another. If you're not, then you're not being biblically sound in that area of your life. So I want to disciple you and help you so that we can be. And the last one is this. Disciples carry a missional heart for those in our community and those who are further afield. Acts 13, verse 47. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the furthest corners of the earth. That doesn't see the furthest corners of the earth today are your neighbor. You know, there was once a time when you had to go to India to meet someone who was from India. When you just need to open your back door and there's someone from India in your back door. There was a time that you'd have to go all the way over to the Caribbean islands to meet someone from St. Vincent. And now they're on our doorstep. Go to Brazil. <laughs> Go to, who did I meet this morning? Honduras. That could be enough. We're going to do a, we're going to do a global Sunday in October. Um, and we're celebrating our cultures together. We're going to have food again, uh, which is wonderful. So all kinds of food will be on in global Sunday. But I would love for, for global takeover. We're going to do a global takeover Sunday. Does that sound good? I, I tell you what, if you, if you can do a Brazilian salsa or whatever it is, uh, let, let's just have some fun in the house of the Lord. If, you, if you're a South African and you want to bring your warriors, your warriors staff, I don't care. Let's just have some. I heard this in the week. Three parts to the kingdom of God. Righteousness. I can't remember the first one. Righteousness, peace and joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Joy can be so missing from our life, but I want to bring joy into the house of the Lord. Amen? 
One way we can do that is food, fellowship, and fun. Jesus enjoyed food, fellowship, and fun. He enjoyed those that were around him. I'm, I'm, if, we, if we really saw, can you imagine some of the miracles that Jesus did? How much fun. He, we read it so religiously, it's ridiculous. But I reckon he would have had so much fun. You know, he's in a, ha- he's in a house, and they're pulling the roof off to bring this, this paralyzed man down. I can't imagine Jesus is just carrying on teaching in front of everyone, being really serious, and, it, and the roof is dropping on his head as he's talking to everyone. I can't imagine he didn't... Who do you think you are? Why don't you use the step? I can't imagine he was so boring that he was waiting for the guy to land a bit... What do you want me to do for you? I, I don't believe Jesus was boring. Joy comes from Jesus, doesn't it? So we're going to have a lot of fun, Global Sunday. Anyway, where was I? Missional heart. I've read the scripture. Another scripture, 1 Thessalonians. Um, did I? Um, 1 Thessalonians. So we care for you. Ah, um, this bringing it to a conclusion. Sorry, I've lost completely where I am. Bringing it to a conclusion of us as disciples. This is what Paul was teaching. He said, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. There's that word again. I want you to know, Jane and I, so love and care for each and every one of you. We absolutely do. Are we always in your world? Are we always contacting? No, I am sorry we're not. But do we love and care for you as your pastors? Yes, absolutely we do. And it breaks our heart when... when you know, when I found out about you, Phil, it broke my heart. It's like, why, I said, why didn't you let me know? Because we could have prayed, we could have taken you to the hospital, we could have picked you up, whatever it would be. Because I want us to so deeply care for one another. And he says here, because we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but of our lives as well. Are we giving our lives away to one another? Come on, one of the ways you can do that is to set up a connect group and say, I'm going to invite some friends and we're going to, we're going to fellowship, have some fun and, and pray together, get around the world, word of God, and do life together. Come on, there's lots of things that we can do to make this happen. I'm going to finish there. Today, we're doing baptisms. If you're planning on coming, it would be great. Because Sam, Samuel is getting baptised, gave his life to the Lord three weeks ago, four weeks ago, three, four weeks ago. Samuel is on a journey of discovery where everything is like, this is new, this is new. Stacey, you're on that journey not so many years ago now. And then um, Abigail is getting baptised this, uh, this afternoon as well. And we're overjoyed. Abigail said, I want to be baptised before I'm 10. Do you know what? That shows to me a heart that wants to follow Jesus all the days of her life. You know, you've asked me, you asked me probably when you were seven and then when you were eight. And now it's like, I'm going to do it before I'm 10, whether you like it or not, Pastor. I love it. And, and, and like I say, if you've not been baptised and you'd like to be baptised today, we will baptise you. Come and have a conversation with me and um, we'll, we'll make that happen. We're going to do teas and coffees.
and then we're going to meet at the land. If you look on your update email, you'll find the address. But it's the wrong address. Keep on that road, and on the first left proper turning, River Lane, or River... That's the one. (laughs) On your right... It goes round, it, it starts to go round the corner, there's a right-hand turn, River Lane, go down River Lane, 250 metres down River Lane, on your right, there's a funny little entrance, you can easily miss it, I will be standing out there unless I get some hosting team, and I'll be jumping up and down at every car that goes past like I normally do, um, and then directing you in, so we're going to have some fun together, alright? Yeah. Excellent, let's go and have some tea, coffee, refreshments. God bless you all. Amen.